Scanner School. My name is Phil Lichtenberger, and today we've got a very interesting guest who I really think you're going to love. His name is David Vine, and he approached me to be a guest on the podcast by using the guest form over at scannerschool.com slash guest. And we must have spoke about 20 minutes before I even hit record to record the conversation that him and I were having. We actually got that involved into just introducing ourselves to each other and talking radio and just firing out of the gate on what it was that the two of us are both passionate about, right? And even what you guys are passionate about, just radio in general. So David is somebody that we're probably going to have on again several more times on the podcast. In fact, I'm actually looking forward to having him on again here. So I'm going to keep this introduction very short because David and I actually recorded a pretty lengthy conversation here, and I want to jump right into it. So without further delay, I'd like to introduce you all to David Vine. Hey, David, thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast today. It's it's my pleasure to have you on here. Well, I am really looking forward to it, and I'm sure that it's going to be a productive session. Yeah, yeah, I believe so. I mean, you and I spent almost the last 30 minutes before we even hit record going through your background and some other stuff and uh, guaranteed we'll have a, a really good conversation. So uh, so that's good. So before we get started, though, one thing I like to do on the podcast is just kind of let my guests just run through a quick introduction on who they are and uh, then we'll take it from there. So Dave, why don't you uh, take a second here and explain a little bit about, about your background in radio and, and, uh, and who you are. Sure. Well, I, you know, like uh, a lot of radio amateurs, uh, I got started when I was a kid, and that was many years ago. I graduated high school in 1970, and I didn't go to college. Instead, I became a photojournalist. And, of course, scanners at that time were somewhat primitive. So even as late as the late 70s, you know, you were still using crystals. Mm Mm-hmm. But I too, you know, I saw the, uh, the, the part on, uh, that you had when you were crawling around, you noticed all these red blinking lights on, on the Bearcat 101. I too saw that and it, I think it was prohibitively expensive at the time, but, um, I was probably 15 or 16 then. And yeah, I mean, that was the beginning. That was the beginning before that. It was the giant Motorola trunk mount radio that weighed about 40 pounds, you know? Gotcha. And that's what you used in the vehicle when you were responding to what was happening in the neighborhood then or in, in your city, right, with, the, with your photojournalism? Well, you know, I started out at about 16 years old, and okay. I had a Ford Falcon. And they didn't have scanner. They, you know, I don't even think Radio Shack was making a lot of police radios back then. I was looking through the catalog recently, and uh, mm-hmm. I mean, some catalogs, including I think it was 1968 or something like that. But in any case, I somehow or other found a box 
that plugged in between the antenna for the car radio and the car radio itself. So on AM, I was able to uh, listen to various local police departments, fire departments, and while listening to those, if it was during a time that I could get out, you know, mobile, uh, I would take off and go and shoot pictures. And gotcha. I, I remember sometimes hanging around downtown New Haven waiting for something to happen. But uh, that that was a very interesting era. It's funny you bring that up, too, because we, we had another guest on the podcast. I'm trying to remember who it was. And we talked exactly about that, the, the transverter or, or whatever it was that went between the antenna port on your car radio. And then you it would allow you to use your FM and AM radio to kind of tune out a band, so to speak, and pick yeah. up uh, other frequencies. So very interesting. I mean, it's a different it's a different world, right? When you think about scanning today and, and all the advances in technology and everything else that we have and how different the hobby was several, not to put it the wrong way here, but several decades past, it, it's night and day difference. And I like the fact that you said that the Bearcat 101 was probably cost prohibited at the time because when you think about it, right, we all say how expensive scanning is today, right? I mean, just to get started in a hobby is $100 just to get a basic scanner radio. And the SDS 200, I mean, tops out at $650 or $699. That's a huge nut to crack. That's a that's an yeah. expensive radio in today's standards. But when you account for inflation and you look exactly how much that $99 radio, that $129 radio cost several decades ago, it is so much more expensive <laughs> to buy a radio in that time than it is today when you account for inflation. I really think that it, it is, we are in one of the fields that's not only immune to inflation, but we're also uh, privileged and uh, we're treated to the opportunity to use technology. I mean, there is no comparison. There is no even orders of magnitude difference in the sophistication between a one transistor AM radio converter and some of these programmable, well, not programmable, but it's just, a, it's mind boggling, literally. It really is. You have to have experienced both ends to really be able to see the advances that have been made. Right, right. And again, some of these advances today, I mean, it's it's kind of a, a double-edged sword, so to speak, right? And, and on one on one side, it's like, this is great. You know, it allows more people to get into the hobby because it's more of a, you know, you can hear more f with it and you can do more with it. And it's got the color displays or it's got the computer interfaces or it's got the alpha tagging. But on the other side, it's like, it becomes a bit more difficult than just plugging in a crystal into the right row <laughs> on <Yeah>. a scanner <laughs> or turning <laughs> off and on the right it. thing. So um, it's definitely a, a different world. I mean, even even changing reads or the old paper punch cards, right, that used to go into some radios, It's uh, it certainly is a, a certain world of difference. But again, like you were saying too, it's in, in a way we're kind of immune, so to speak, in inflation. I mean, I think that the advances in technology – and that in alone allows the price of the product to come down a little bit because it's not bleeding edge anymore. So it doesn't have that 
premium, right, on the technology or the hardware or exactly. something like that. Exactly. But, um, and, it, then a, and then you have a secondary market. You know, you yes. have a good secondary market. Right. And and that, that alone, though, sometimes people say, I, I see it all the time on, on eBay, vintage, vintage, right? And, and things <laughs> go for a crazy amount of money because it's playing on multiple fronts there, right? You, you're playing on the front where it's like, uh, that was too much money when I wanted to buy it years ago. But now I can afford it because it's a fraction of the price. But then it starts driving up the nostalgia factor. And it's, it drives up the fact that this is something that I've wanted for 20 years. I can see one. It's nice and clean. It's like the car market, right? It's it's that one car that nobody ever wanted back in the day because they all thought it was ugly. Now, all of a sudden, everybody's collecting it. I mean, who knows? The PT Cruiser could, could be a huge collector's item. You know, 10 or 15 to 20 years from now, today, nobody wants one of them, you know? So... It's, well, I, uh, you know, uh, who who would have thought 10 years ago that you would have to pay $5 for a smaller box of cereal? I mean, it's, mm. you know, it's 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 I think it's a crime, but that's a whole other matter. <laughs> right, right. Anyway. Yeah, but again, too like you were saying too, we uh it's a secondary market there as well, and there's a lot of there's the ability to use some of the old stuff too, right? Like when you look at computers, right? For a great example here, as the computer ages, right? The software that you want to run on it is upgraded all the time, even the operating system. And that alone will turn that computer into something that's obsolete because it just can't handle what's being asked of it anymore, right? The, there's not enough uh, horsepower on the chip to run the operating system. Yet alone, the software you want to run on there. But you could dust off an old scanner radio and you can turn it on and there's still stuff to listen to. And people will, will argue the fact that things are encrypted and you can't listen to this anymore, you can't listen to that anymore. But there's still stuff out there that you could still tune into that that radio will still work on. It may not be somebody's cup of tea all the time, but just the fact that the technology has matured but some of the basic stuff right has withstood the test of time so this is i want to tell you hobbies. something yep okay, go ahead one of your one of your you know i i've i've mentioned that i i, I find your podcast fascinating and uh, one of the ones that uh, recently that i listened to was the one on interoperability and, you know, I knew about interoperability. I mean, I'm active in emergency communications as a radio amateur. But when you think about, well, your guest and you went through such an enlightening conversation, at least enlightening for me, that alone is potentially a rich source of scanning material, so to speak. Right. And then there's all these specialized services and all the aircraft. I think you mentioned the uh, 300 megahertz or something like that. Aircraft, military aircraft. Yeah. Yeah. All kinds of stuff. So it's, and I want to tell you something, honestly, and I don't, I'm the kind of guy that I, I don't make big exaggerations, but when I do see something that is extraordinary, I like to, to call it out. Amateur radio has been big, and there may be some little peaking of of, uh, the growth rate, but it's still growing. I mean, there's a lot of technician licenses going out every week. 
And that's partly due to people in churches who formed church security groups. Okay. And they use, and for instance, the Mormons, the Church of Later Day Saints, they have an extremely extensive prepping kind of a network using HF and using VHF. So that's one thing. But then another aspect of it is the software defined or the uh, dongle type ratings. Yes, the SDRs. Yes. I just got an RTL SDR and I am just chomping at the bit to really exploit that and, <laughs> and use it like I want to use it as a, as a spectrum analyzer. You There's know, a or lot least, you can do with those. Yes. Exactly. So radio. Oh, and the other big factor is GMRS. We've got repeaters. I mean, there are repeaters all over the country now. Right. For GMRS. It rivals. It rifles amateur radio. Now it's limited and you know, they don't have any HF privileges, but still, I mean, there are groups of a hundred, 200 people that subscribe to a repeater and you know, there they go and they become a little family. So, um, radio is very much alive and growing. Yeah, exactly. And it's, I, again, it, it's interesting because it's, I'm trying to find the right words to phrase here. First of all, I wanted to say that Garrett did an amazing job with that interoperability stuff. He really did his homework and put together some really nice slides for that. So before I even get into what I was going to say, I want to at least give Garrett some recognition for the hard work he did in that one. But going back to what you were saying before with, with the prepping and the ham radio and GMRS, what I'm seeing a lot on social media is there is definitely a rise in what I'm at least what I'm seeing in prepping posts. So there's there's a lot of groups out there that are, like you said, they're falling back onto radio. And a lot of their posts, a lot of their posts focus on using amateur radio for prepping. In fact, there's a account that I follow called, I think it's Ham Radio Prepper or something very yeah. similar to that. And he goes out all the time and, and, and he says, yeah, I'm using my, my VX6R. I'm using my VX60R. I'm using my, my this, my that. And it's today I went up to the mountains and I used Winlink. And today I went up to the mountains and I'm using um, whatever it was he's using. Even testing out Yesu's, they've got the, the uh, remote link where you could use your HT. And it will ping yeah, back yeah. and forth between the other radio to let you know you're in, you're in service or not. And I definitely see a very strong, not only prepping community on social media, between Instagram or even TikTok, but I see a lot of amateur radio posts on TikTok. And some of it is, again, old school people using the amateur, you know, when I say that, I mean by using HF, uh, Morse code, uh, a lot of the staples of the amateur radio world. And then you've got people that are just, they've got that personality and they put themselves in front of the camera and they explain the hobby and they explain the way things work. And, and, and they're, they're somebody that you actually want to see because they are entertaining about it. I think they work very well with social media. And I think that those hand in hand, just as the social media aspect of what's going on, I think helps promote the hobby. And then speaking what you were saying about GMRS, we have a local group here that spun up after Hurricane Sandy. And they are, I don't want to say they're a prepping group, but their background basically was being prepared for the next emergency that would happen here exactly. on Long Island. Yeah, and exactly. they have a, a huge membership. 
They have got a very strong website and online forums, and they go out and they do outings, and they they are now involved with the community. They do marathons, and they work hand-in-hand and side-by-side with multiple organizations in amateur radio whereas before it was like oh here's here's these guys again you know and it was it was always like this like oh you know the new group is here and it took them a while but they've established themselves to be side by side on par with the amateur radio group that's great you know i I just want to throw out here while we're talking about this uh, mm -hmm. you know here is another area where scanner people, you know, they talk about encryption. Well, yeah, that's going to happen. In fact, uh, I think for routine transmissions, it will happen. But like you were saying, the interoperability and everything else, and we've been talking about amateur radio. How about that as a, as a local scanning thing? Because you can pick up an awful lot of, uh, Bits and pieces of information. That's the intelligence game is putting, putting a little piece of the puzzle in and seeing the big picture. But, you know, you also have Skywarn. I mean, you yes. have people on the ground. Have you talked about Skywarn much? I don't know if I, if I, if we focused exactly on Skywarn. I used to be the net control, one of the net control operators here for Skywarn for, for a couple of years. But yeah, it's Skywarn is one of those things that is, uh, definitely something that should be a frequency that should be known. Especially for scanner reader yeah. users, I mean, because it's nothing like you said. You know, it's it's physically boots on the ground, and exactly. depending on where you are, especially here, you know, in the United States, you could have tornadoes, you could have flash flooding, you could have mudslides, you could have all these different things. I mean, where I am right here, it's it's mostly severe thunderstorms, but Skywarn in many places could be something that is well worth investing the time to find the frequencies and and monitoring. During severe severe weather. I think they tend to be on the stronger repeaters. Yes. And also, it's worth noting that anybody can join Skywarn. You don't have to be a ham radio operator. Exactly. You don't even have to have a radio. I mean, you can send them uh, reports on Twitter or uh, just call them and talk to them. Or if you get really active, they have a a private uh, chat channel that... You can't really, you know, it's out there, but it's a private channel and you can't get access to it unless you're very active in Skywarn. Yep, exactly. And, uh, you know, that reminds me too, there was an app I used to run on my computer. I'm trying to remember what it was, but it was like a weather app and you'd watch all these updates from from all over the place that that would be flying into it. I'm going to have to dig it up and do a YouTube video on that one because it's on an old computer. And I believe the guy had it, it was an N3 call sign. That, that it used to be. But I'm going to dig it up and I'm going to find out. We'll put a video together on that one because that's definitely something that would uh, that would sit there in the shack. But also getting and backtracking ever so slightly on your software-defined radios and also the social media aspect of it. I've noticed that if you go on to Reddit, and I don't know if you've ever been on Reddit, but it's another community social media platform. Sure, sure. And, sure. Um, you know, there, there's some areas that are a little, a little strange and, and, and not so much. But uh, there's there's a strong you know police scanner group and software defined radios, ham radio and whatnot, and you find a lot of people in the software defined radio group. Not only are they very big into weather satellites and just satellite reception, which I think is when you think about weather satellites, it's like, well, why would I want to do that? I get the satellite on my phone. But again, the whole prepping aspect and being off the grid, or if it hits the fan and you still got to know situational awareness. The ability to take a radio out 
and set up an antenna and receive a satellite image that's passing overhead. Yes, yes, yes. Is is unbelievable. But people will discover scanning an amateur radio and other forms of radio just by picking up a software-defined radio. Because again, the price point is under 40 bucks usually. And it scratches an itch for many people who want to learn something and they get into it because they're using their computer. It gives them the feeling of, I, mean, I would assume like I'm hacking into something or I'm discovering something or exactly. what is this digital yeah. noise yeah. that I'm listening to? What can I do with this digital noise? And they start to be able to visualize it and see it because they're using software like DSD plus or trunk SDR or something like that. And then they go, well, now I want to hear more. What do I need? Do well, I need this you know, coax or this antenna? So it, it kind of like gets in there. Thing. Yep, go ahead. One thing. You know, when we say SDR, that can easily be mistaken for today's regular radios. So what we're talking about is a either a USB dongle that just plugs in, and, and there's a lot behind that, but a dongle that just plugs into a computer or a Raspberry Pi with extra hardware to make it into a radio receiver. But right. we're not it doesn't talking stop there about either. a lot of money. It doesn't no, talk, no. take a lot of money. And it doesn't stop there, actually, too, because I've actually plugged in my you know, Nualec SDR into my tablet. And if I had an Android phone, I could use it on my Android phone, too. I, sure. I just, I'm an iPhone kind of guy, and I, I specifically bought an Android tablet just to play with that. But yeah, I mean, it's software-defined radio is, it fits in a very interesting, it's a catalyst and it can be a yes, catalyst. Absolutely. You know? A lot of techies will get into it yes, and they'll really get excited about radio in general and right. want to do more. And, and it doesn't even stop there too, because I, I see a lot of people will actually use their software-defined radios when they want to sniff out sensors in their home, right? They have a wireless weather station and they want to sniff out the ping from the humidity sensor or the temperature sensor or even their barbecue. And they watch that data on their uh, computer. I know people, not personally, but I've seen posts and projects where people will sniff out over the air their smart meters. This way they can trend out their electrical usage and their water usage and even figure out like when their peak times are or if they have a water leak just based off of the fact that they know nobody's home, but they still see water draw off of their meter. And there's a lot of things people are doing with these projects. And it's 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 all, again, comes back down to radio. But again, you get somebody that gets into that aspect and they want to and they, they know about doing that. And it's like, well, all right, I've got this open up on radio. What else can I do with it? You know, then they yeah. discover, okay, this, I can listen to this, I can do that, I can do this. So there's, there's a lot of stuff out there that, that, that comes out of radio, but it's, and younger uh, people it's a really need younger people really need to understand that they are involved in radio in like a dozen different ways every day. You know, they I mean they're they're walking around, so to speak, in the ether, and there's radio signals all around them, and they have no inkling about right. it. But it's it's a mystery. It really is a mystery. Exactly. Exactly. So let's let's back up a bit because you were saying, you know, you got started at a young age, right? I mean, and I think that's yeah. that's a common theme I think we see a lot with the scanner radio hobby. In fact, I just as of we're recording it right now, this week I, I posted a video on a podcast about the seven myths 
right, about the scanner radio hobby. And one of the things I touched on was the fact that scanning is an old man's hobby. And it's not because a lot of people like yourself and myself got involved at an early age. So sure. you were saying that your earliest radio was basically something that plugged into an interface between AM your antenna yep. and your AM radio and your Ford Falcon. But let's talk about some of the other radios that you used to have beyond that in between what you have today. Like what are some other scanner radios that stick out in your memory as far as what's been a part of your collection and, and what you liked about them or okay. didn't like about them? After, after I got involved with the doing the photos for the newspaper and all that stuff, I became more aware of what kind of radios I could use. And that Radio Shack was a thriving major business at that time. And they had a patrolman line of mm. radios, which was essentially two separate radios identical. One was on VHF and the other was on low, the so-called low band, right, which right. was 30 to 50 megahertz. And the other was, I think, 150 to 180 or 170 or something. So I had one of those. And they all of the public service around me, and of course, we didn't call it public safety then. We called it, you know, just police, fire, ambulance. In fact, I worked on an ambulance for a while. But in any case, the the next radio I had was really not a scanner. In fact, I think I went through two or three different kinds of tunable radios that would receive police frequencies. Okay. And the patrolman is one I remember because I remember sitting it on the seat of the car and using the little uh, antenna that comes, you pop it out and it, it telescopes up. But that was a, a handy little radio and that worked too. So the, the patrolman you had, I'm, and I'm thinking my back in my mind, the, I remember the earlier, not personally early, but you know, seen online and through catalogs and stuff, but the earlier patrolmans, right? They weren't the patrolmans that you drop crystals in and you watch the lights dance on. It actually had oh. a tuning knob and a needle, oh, yeah. right? That yeah, you would like that roll up down radio. Down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's what you had used. Yeah, and then they, you know, Radio Shack, uh, like I say, was big, and we had Lafayette Electronics, and so I, I'm sure. Well, I know I had a couple of additional radio. Actually, one of my shortwave radios, I had a Halicrafters S38, and that tuned part of the VHF band or okay. not the VHF I'm sorry low band so low band still VHF right anything above 30 megahertz right it would be VHF yeah. but we yeah. consider VHF flow exactly yep. and yep. I, I think the first crystal control radio that I had was a Regency and I, I want to say it was 16 channels it was it was kind of flat and very wide okay uh, I forget which model it is I haven't looked but that was something that uh, served me well. And, uh, you know, right on up through Atlanta when I was, I moved to Atlanta, uh, in 77. Okay. And then I went down to Miami and then the focus was entirely on aviation because I worked for the Miami International Airport as the, uh, Dade County public information officer for the Dade County Aviation Department which operated five airports. And the reason why I got hired or among many other candidates was that I was the only one that actually had a pilot's license. Oh, wow. And so, yeah, yeah. So I used to, uh, but that's, that's the point. In other words, my interest in radio then went more, much more toward aviation radio. 
you know, and then from there, it kind of went to shortwave. And I didn't really get back into radio, you know, amateur radio until about 20, early 2000s. Okay. I mean, I think everybody takes a break too every once in a while. I know I took a break for a little bit and came back into it. And it's, it's perfectly acceptable. I mean, it's, it's a hobby, right? It's not a, sure. there's so much a lifestyle. But for others, you know, it's it's a hobby, and and sometimes you turn the power button off for a couple of years or a decade, and then you eventually you find your way back into it. And it's amazing though that you know you think about some of these, like you said, you know, it's you got into your position for work because you kind of had that pilot's license, right? And you dug the well before you were thirsty, so to speak, right? Yeah, you, you go in to be <laughs> to work for an airport for a public information officer. Yeah, you, you know what's happening there and you understand the business because you had your pilot's license, but working in, in the airport helped you with your scanning as well because you got involved with, with aviation. And it's, it's, it's a lot of times too, right? You find that, that weaving of interests and career and hobby and everything else. So it's a lot exactly. that, that takes you through everything like that. So yeah. all over well, the place, you know, all through had, down the East Coast, huh? <laughs> I had no idea that pagers were as sophisticated as as they are. I mean, I went on your East Coast uh, pagers site mm-hmm. and was looking at the radios, and I'm curious, what did they do besides receive audio and digital text messages? What? Well, so digital audio too, I would imagine. Right. But right. What do they What do they do? And I I know fire departments and emergency people really need to have that extra information sent to them like okay this is in a plastics factory you know make sure you bring your your breathing apparatus <laughs> but right. what do they do what do these very sophisticated p25 type uh, radios do i i it's new to me all right we're going to take a quick pause right here and as a reminder anybody who's a patreon supporter at $3 or higher Level doesn't get this break. For everybody else, we'll catch you all in just one second. Help support the show via Patreon. Please go to scannerschool.com slash Patreon. Chances are pretty good that you shop online and buy things online. So whether it's Amazon or eBay or Scanner Master, maybe you got a new radio and you're going to buy new software from Butel. You can help support the podcast with your online purchases. If you use our support page before buying things online, You can support our show without it costing you a single cent. So before you buy your groceries, your golf balls, your socks, or maybe a new radio, software, or whatever it is, we would love it if you could use our affiliate links before you make that purchase. And this will help support the show at no additional cost to you. Go to scannerschool.com slash support to find out how you can help us out. Thanks again. Do you feel lost when it comes to the scanner hobby? Are you looking for someone to answer your questions? Do you have a new radio and you need help understanding how it works? Or are you working on a big project and need somebody to bounce ideas off of? Do you need a little bit more personal assistance than what you can get from an online community? And are you looking for somebody to dedicate their attention and their time to helping you out when it comes to getting you unstuck? with whatever it is that you are struggling with when it comes to the scanner radio hobby, I'm here to do just that. See, you can book me for a session right now where I'll sit on Zoom and do a video or a screen share with you just as if I am sitting across the table and helping you out. You can book your tutoring session right now by going to scannerschool.com tutoring. I can't wait to help you out. 
Unication's G2 to G5 pagers are great additions to your radio collection. Not only can they alert you with two-tone pager activations, but they can also monitor your local P25 simulcast systems that many scanner radios have problems receiving. And of course, many of our scanner school listeners are happily using their Unication pagers to scan their local trunk systems. How do I know? Because they've reached out to tell me. My company, East Coast Pagers, is an authorized Unication, Swiss phone, and Apollo pager dealer. We not only support departments and agencies, but also the home hobby user as well. Find us online at eastcoastpagers.com. We're going to take me back a little bit, right? So my, my first real job out of college was with PageNet. And um, I actually interned with them before I graduated and started working as a field technician with them. So I definitely have roots when it comes to paging. We're talking about Poxac and Flex and Reflex, which is the old alpha pagers and numeric pagers and, and stuff like that. And again, back in that time, paging was thriving. And it was beyond the point where it was doctors and drug dealers. It was every Tom, Dick, and Harry basically had a pager at that point. And you're right, though. I mean, today's in today's environment, in today's world, and we'll start with the Poxag and the Flex, and I'll go into the P25 stuff in a second here. But a lot of the stuff you see today when it comes to the traditional paging is for hospital staff and medical staff, right? You'll get an update on patients. You'll get an update on what rooms are available. You'll get telemetry. You'll get stuff where you have a data center that will send out you know, health reports for the facilities or something like that. You'll also get types of alarms and stuff. So I know that you know I've sold pagers to medical facilities where if somebody opens a door, they'll get an alert on a pager that east wing door has opened. Or if somebody happens to walk past a proxy sensor or whatever it is, and they're out of where they should be, I guess it's RFID will send an alert saying that Mrs. Johnson is now wandering the hallways or something like that. <laughs> yeah. So you'll get stuff like that, right? Telemetry being at a you know, high watermark or high temperature alarm or, or, or stuff like that. In the fire department world, though, I'll find a lot of rural departments will still page out on PogSag in conjunction with their voice paging, primarily because the PogSag pages put out hundreds of watts of power and typically will go further distances and may be a little bit more reliable than traditional voice in some places Uh, based on terrain and whatnot. And some departments do carry two pagers. They carry their voice pager and they carry their POGSAG or flex pager, depending on what they are. So I've sold pagers in that aspect as well. Uh, and again, you have a lot of people who contact me and they want paging. They actually want service. They want, I don't sell service, but they want service because they want to get away from their cell phones or they want something more simpler. Or they want something that's got a little bit more reliability to it than a cell phone because their cell phone has dead spots, but they know that they can get a page there. And, um, you know, it's it's yeah, all different, true. different strokes for different folks types types of deals when it comes to the consumer market with paging, the old technical paging. Let me ask you a question. I know, and and you're in the pager business. I know there used to be a network that monitored all of the uh, metropolitan New York area <laughs> traffic, and then they put out bulletins on the thing. But somebody from New York, I think, objected to that. And maybe took them to court. Is that type of operation still around? Not in that type of capacity. But yeah, you're talking about one of the news networks that was in the tri-state area here that found themselves allegedly in a little bit of problem because they were sniffing out 
the text messages from pagers is is the rumor oh, that i've heard oh, and okay. that allowed them from what i've heard and cannot confirm to get themselves in the hot water but that agency has uh self since reestablished themselves and they use scanner radios and they use third-party reporters basically who are scanner radio users or people who are dispatchers and whatnot to call in their tips and their updates and whatnot and they do everything through listening through scanners or online tips or phone calls and then they, they reissue that and again that kind of stuff also at some time went through pagers when i was part of a group we used pagers for that. And eventually that went over to cell phone text messaging. And that's also why I got out of the out of PageNet because writing was on the wall that, hey, I have a phone in front of me that can do text messaging. Paging is going to die. And I better get out of it now. And that's when I left paging and went over to cell phones as as my career. Sure. So the traditional form of paging basically still exists today, right? Text messaging, even numerical paging and 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 stuff like that, it, it still exists. Now, when it comes to the alpha page or the uh, the voice paging, voice paging, there even was, you know, in the '90s, a a voice service where, and we used to listen to it. It's funny, we used to listen to it on VHF here locally, and you would just hear these voice messages go out all the time. You know, you hear the 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 ping pongs, wherever it was, and it was, hey, please call the doctor's office at. Five 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 one whatever it was one two one two, and uh, we have your test results. And then you hear click click click, and then you hear the next two tones go over or the series of tones go over, and it was the next message because these these pages were going out to voice replay pagers, and it was all done on VHF. Yeah. And remember sitting there just listening to this stuff like, oh wow, this is crazy. It's just all out there in the clear. <laughs> but that's the that was the technology at the time, right? Yeah. Instead of having your 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 answer machine at home. You wore your answer machine on your belt, and how do you get your messages over the air? Yeah. So yeah. today's voice paging that's used by emergency communications, fire departments, ambulance companies, and whatnot, primarily is the same type of information, right? So you have what's called here in the states we use primarily two tone paging or long tone paging, and that technology has been around since the days of Plectron, and we want to go yeah. back sixties or seventies, right? I was waiting for a gap in your conversation to, to <laughs> say, I remember these Plectron radios. Yes. <laughs> That's exactly it. Yes. <laughs> and they still work off of the same technology, basically. I mean, they're not using mechanical reeds to vibrate, to trip the relays, to activate yeah. the alerts. It's all software based, right? It's all done through software in your pager, just like. PL and DPL is all done in your scanner radio or your amateur radio software-based these days. But the concept is still there, right? You still have to have the AB tone or the long tone or wherever else it is that that triggers the pager to send out the alert. And then it will activate the speaker or will activate the voice recording or it'll activate the tone alert. And that's how you get your fire. You know, you dispatch engine company four, five, and six, respond to a house fire. Yada yada yada, and 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 then yeah. and there you go, right? And then of course you could take the pager and you put it on monitor mode, and then that's where you find out the additional information that it's a plastics factory fire or whatever it was that we talked about sure. earlier. Now, when it comes to P twenty five, it's the same basic principle, right? You're going to have a dispatch on there, and really what's happening is, is instead of listening to a analog FM frequency. 
you're now monitoring the control channel, just as if your scanner or your two-way radio is monitoring control channel. And what you're waiting for is for that control channel to say, hey, this talk group is active now. And if it was a two-way radio or a scanner radio or the pager, it follows that prompt to say this talk group is active because it's in the scan list or it's in the monitor list and the pager goes over to that voice channel. And that voice channel may happen to be a dispatch channel. And the early days of P25 paging, we didn't have two tones. It would just be, you'd come on the air basically, and you would just dispatch the call out. And the communication pagers would buffer the voice and would just say, okay, well, there's activity on this talk group. Let me send out a page, a pseudo page alert. And it would activate the pager. And then it would play back basically that archived or that buffered audio. Today, many systems are now equipped with the ability to do two-tone paging over P25. So effectively, the pagers still work in their root configuration where they're still waiting for the two tones. You're saying P25, you're talking about trunking, right? Trunking, yes. Absolutely yeah, okay. trunking. Yep, yep, yep. But the pagers still support P25 on conventional mode. They still support analog FM conventional mode and with a paid upgrade and not to sell anybody or do anything else like that but just so the reality is out there the pages will also support the will support dmr tier one and tier two which is basically simplex and conventional repeated dmr and that's supported on unication g2 g3 g4 and g5 pagers now will those uh with those those sophisticated pagers Mm-hmm. That are DMR. Will will they be able to be? Can can someone who is a hobbyist uh, receive amateur radio DMR on those types of radios? In theory, you should be able to. I have not verified and tested that out, but I don't see why you wouldn't be able to. In fact, I mean, I know people who are setting them up to monitor their police departments or their hospital security, and that's pretty much the same right as a amateur radio sure. as long as it's in the frequency sure. band it should work fine for you the only thing you really can't it's do just it not, is monitor. it's just not trunking right exactly know. so you can't really monitor capacity plus capacity max tier three system unless you wanted to just put the voice channels in and scan to the voice channels and, and listen to it that way which is the again the old school way of listening to analog trunk systems before we had the bearcat uh what was it, uh, 8500 or whatever it was that came out that allowed us to do Motorola trunking. So, yeah. By the yeah. way, let me throw in a point here about uh, the world of scanning and the wide world of scanning. Some of your listeners, obviously, they, they're aware of amateur radio, but they probably are, most of them are not aware that just about every town and city in this country is covered by some type of an amateur radio net. Now, when I talk about nets, it's at a schedule. And this is the beautiful thing about the beginner, okay? Knowing what the frequency is and knowing what time the traffic is going to be on that frequency. So every, just about every radio amateur probably checks into one of these nets and the simplest of them is just a roll call. You know, they, but there's always a few comments, you know, like around here, we talk about the weather because like you out in Long Island, we get severe thunderstorms around. And I'm in South Carolina, by the way. But the point is, this is a, a fruitful area 
for for scanner users to listen to something different. Mm-hmm. And some of those nets get very, very interesting with technical topics and discussions, uh, you know, technical discussions and things like that. So if they want, uh, the ARRL.org is the place to go. And Well, actually, Radio Reference probably has uh, repeater frequencies for uh, the, these nets. But the point is, they may not know that there are regularly scheduled sessions on a particular frequency on a daily or weekly basis. So, you know, we have, like, for instance, I was the net control for the Amateur Radio Club of Augusta, Georgia, club and they had a nightly net at 8 p.m on 145.490 megahertz 71.9 hertz tone okay so if you just program that in your radio you're going to be able to listen to that broadcast every night at eight o'clock and hear what's going on so it's just another avenue for your scanner uh, users exactly yep and i think too that by understanding that it's it's there's a lot more out there, like you were saying, that is just a couple of guys commuting to work, right? And and or 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 just talking about whatever it is that their their projects are working on or anything like that. But you do find a lot of structure on there. And again, we touched base before on Skywarn, right? So a typical sure. Skywarn net would be again, would start with a roll call and maybe an observation. That's how we used to run our Skywarn nets out here, was well when you checked in. We wanted phonetics. We wanted clear and calm, right, and collective transmission. And we exactly. wanted an active and we wanted an active condition, right? Weather condition. And it could be any condition they wanted to say. It's dark outside. The this you know, the sun was uh whatever today, or you know, the, it's currently sixty-five degrees, which was typically the big one we used to get all the time, right? What the temperature was. But it was the practice and the routine. And yes constantly going through the routine of what it was this way when we did have an emergency roll through everybody knew how to check in how to give their how to give their their reports and how to stay structured and we worked very closely with the other groups that we were interfaced with so when it came to interfacing with races and when it came to interfacing with aries it would still be the exact same type of of structure right we want you to check in with your call sign aesthetically we want let, you to be let me clear. stop you Yep, go Let ahead. me stop you for just one second. This is something very interesting. There, I have a program or a, a presentation I do called The Language of Amateur Radio. And amongst the many subtopics within that, one of them is the federal government's push toward plain language. <laughs> now, you used two acronyms, ARIES. And races. Races, yep. Okay. Now, how many people, uh, some of them may know what Aries is, amateur radio emergency service, but they almost certainly don't know what races is, radio amateur civil emergency services. And there's a big difference between those two. Big difference. So this is one of the, my pet peeves is all kinds of communications go right over the tops of the most important people, and those are the people who know less. We know more, they know less. And we've got to transfer, like you've said in your podcast, transfer that information. Right, right, right. 
it's it's interesting you bring up the plain language too, because to me that's a huge sticking point is the fact that, you know, as as a listener here, a scanner listener here in my county, right, they'll say like a signal signal thirteen, which is re- return to quarters. The next county over, a signal thirteen is a working fire. So it's like just get on the air and say return to quarters or working fire, because if if, if you've got departments that cross the border and they hear thirteen. They're going to turn around and go right back across the border and go home. They're, that's you know, what interoperability have, is all about. Exactly. That's a that's a hundred percent right. But but going back and towards the amateur radio side of of the house here, yeah, I, I wanted to just say that there's a lot of there's a lot of routine and there's a lot of training and a lot of drills and a lot of just listening to the radio. And when you hear something like aviation, right? Aviation is a lot of numbers and it's a lot of information being transmitted and relayed quickly and you have to tune your ear to that in order to understand what is being transmitted and and said back and be acknowledged right it's it usually is you know the aircraft number and a heading or an altitude and a direction and what the next step is going to be in a handoff or something like that i was a veteran i was a veteran scanner user when i was working for the danbury news times in danbury connecticut and I took flying lessons. And the first time I heard the aviation radio, I panicked. I mean, I had yes. no idea what they were saying. Yep. And it took a while. It took a while. Even somebody like me who's into two-way radio, into uh, the scanner radio, into police, multiple radios going at the same time, mm-hmm. I didn't know what they were talking about. And then yeah. over time, I became aware and I, I tuned in, so to right. speak. Right. Your, 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 I was just going to say, your ear tunes into what it is you're listening to. And eventually, you start to realize what the patterns are and what the sequence of events are for what you're listening to. Sure. Yep. And, and that's what I was, that was getting into is the fact when you listen to amateur radio, it's a slower pace, right? But it still allows you to realize that there's a pattern growing here, and this is the next sequence of events, and and this is what I can expect on each one of these transmissions. And it's learning a little bit of how radio works. And, and again, you you made a great point before. Well, let me go back to this too. So by listening to the slower conversation on amateur radio, you can develop that ear of realizing exactly. there's patterns and there's there's certain things that you're going to be hearing when you listen to other types of transmissions. Yes, and, very much so. Yep. And it may not transfer over exactly 100%, but you know, you're going to hear the net happen, right? You're going to hear the information that passes on the net. You're going to hear traffic that goes through. And some nets will allow you to check in via email. And I know the GMRS net that I listen to, that's, that's weekly or I sometimes listen to here, they will allow you to check in digitally, meaning email net control. And we will acknowledge you on the net as a check-in. So this yeah, allows yeah. you to be a part of the community before you get your license. But you'll find too that after the amateur radio net is over or after the GMRS, GMRS net is over, you may hear a little bit of a side communication of some of the regulars that happen to pop on there, right? But it may just be an update on what project they're working on or something like that. And that might pique your interest. But there's also, like you said, technical nets. And some of these nets are really advanced. And they go on for hours. And one of the clubs here, Limark, has a very, very well-established technical net that runs every single Sunday. And people tune in, not just locally to this net, 
but they tune in globally to this thing. Yeah. That's the kind of reach and power and reputation that they have here. And the amateurs have the ability to mm-hmm. listen using, using their cell phone. They can talk through a radio yes. in Australia. Okay. With Echolink. Right. Which is a very, it's a free program. I mean, let's say somebody gets their technician class license. They go out and they, they sign up for a free Echolink account. They can use radios anywhere in the world via this free Echolink service. So yeah. And, and, and the repeaters that are transmitting the radio, in other words, the audio that comes through the Echolink system goes out through the radio. That's another thing that scanner, uh, scanner enthusiasts can listen to. Right, right. And even uh, you, you take that now because Echolink's been around oof, a, a pretty 25 long time. 25 years, 20, yeah. 22 years, yeah. <laughs> Can't believe it's been that long. I remember I remember signing up for Echolink and thinking to myself, okay, so I'm sitting here in front of my computer using my computer's microphone talking to other people who are on their computer. How is this any different than any other chat program I'm using? But then you realize that it's a little bit more advanced than that. But you, you take what it's grown into, and not necessarily that Echolink is is not or is an RF-based environment, what it's doing on the back end or the front end, but you now have DMR, right? And hotspots sure. or, or digital sure. voice, right? You've got uh, D-Star and you've got Fusion and all the P25. Is Fusion, you, D-Star, yeah. right? Exactly. And, and some of these protocols, right, you can hear on your scanner. Some of these you cannot hear on your scanner. But by and again, completely different topic here. Maybe we'll table for another time. But by using a hotspot, right, you can still talk to the world. Now you're actually keying up a radio, which I, I like using my hotspot a lot more than I like using Echolink. Just to me, I've got a radio in my hand, so I'm actually using yes. RF, you know, coming coming out of the radio to talk to somebody else. Even though you're still gatewaying through the internet, it's still more amateur radio than I believe my own feeling that Echolink was because you still have that radio. But again, you could always build that radio interface in there as well. Sure. But sure. Uh, we we covered, I mean, we've been going a little bit more than an hour here and we have covered a lot of ground. And I know, David, that we have a lot more ground to cover. Sure. So I would love to invite you to come back onto the podcast and maybe talk about some of these other things that um, sure. that we had discussed where you have a couple of presentations that you work on. And I think that we can... I don't want to say table those discussions for now, but I think oh, that sure. we could easily spend another hour minimum on some of these other topics. So I know yeah. I got a lot of value out of speaking to you today. It's just, you know, I love this too, because this is a conversation, right? And this is what I love about having the podcast here is, is having a conversation with somebody else that loves radio as much as the rest of us do. And yeah. to get a peek into how it, it affected your life and, and how you enjoy yes. the hobby and everything else. I think it just shows to show that we're all we're all radio users, that we all share the same passion and we all we're not alone, right? In this journey. And while we think that maybe sometimes, hey, I'm the only guy that I know that enjoys doing this crazy hobby. Yes. Talk me right now talking to you, I think really solidifies the fact that you know, there's there's plenty of us other crazy people out there that, that enjoy, you know, some part of the scanner radio hobby. And scanning is just a piece of a larger radio yeah. community. And just like amateur radio is a hobby, 
right? That's a radio hobby. You look at what amateur radio is and you look at the different aspects of that hobby alone where you've got satellites, Earth, Moon, Earth, you've got HF, you've got CW, you've got FT8 people and the FT8 people love doing what they're doing, but some people don't like the FT8 people. Just like when it comes to scanning and transfer that kind of stuff over here, you still have people that are using software to find radios and they're like I said, we talked before, they're they're listening to or decoding slow scan TV, weather satellites. They're using software yeah. such as DSD Plus or SDR talking, Trunk. Exactly. Talking to astronauts on yes. the International Space Station. Exactly, exactly. And there's a lot Who of stuff out there. also are hams. <laughs> that are also hams and that right now have broken equipment, so I hear. But uh, there's there's a lot of stuff out there that that is involved with scanner radio hobby is not just listening. And again, this is a lot of that beating a dead horse thing here, but it's not just listening to police and fire and then saying that they went encrypted and it's nothing left to listen to. You've been in a hobby, like you said, since, since you were in your teens in, I believe you said uh, the sixties the or seventies. And it's still all these decades later, right? The, the, the technology and maybe the ability to listen to certain things have changed. But the root is still there. There's still stuff to listen to. And there still will be stuff to listen to. There's so many different things. It's hard to – and I would would suggest to new amateur radio operators, buy one radio and don't buy anything else until you've learned how to use that radio. (laughs) It's death if you start using multiple radios and you're trying to learn all about programming various radios so yeah but anyway i i I, I can't tell you how pleased i am we've had i've had the best time on a telephone or you know an interview that i've had i mean not just an interview but i don't think i've had a conversation like this uh, for years i mean to somebody that is tuned into the same pardon the pun the same subject that i'm interested in so yeah great Excellent. Well, I'm I'm glad you enjoyed your time here. I'm sure everybody else enjoyed your stories and everything else. And uh, we will certainly have you back on the podcast really shortly. So again, David, thank you so much. And again, you booked this podcast with me. So again, I want to thank you for taking the time and the initiative sure. to jump in on the website and clicking on those buttons right there and uh, and uh, being flexible to time again tonight and uh, sitting down and having a conversation with us. I really do appreciate it. Excellent. And good luck. Thank you so much. David, again, thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast and taking about an hour, maybe even more, had a day to record the conversation that you and I had. I really did enjoy it. I'm sure everybody else listening enjoyed it. And I'm looking forward to having you back. So as soon as you'd like to come on, I would love to have you on to do some of the presentations that you have in your catalog. I know uh, one specifically I'm looking forward to is how to stay organized in the shack. I can really use some organizational skills. And I'd love to hear some of the tips and advice that you have to staying organized with a lot of the radio stuff that we seem to collect over the years, such as antennas and just screws and cables and whatnot. I mean, I've got buckets over here on some of the stuff that uh, that I have collected and some other nonsense as well. But we're going to table that part for another day. David, again, thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast. And if anybody else wants to be a guest for the podcast, please go to scannerschool.com slash guest, and I will send you a link where we can sync up over Zoom and record our conversation for everybody else to enjoy. Before we wrap up this week's podcast, I want to take a minute here to thank all of our Patreon supporters. 
Alan Gonzalez, Arthur Altrack, Arthur Heron, Bill Kay, Bob Ross, Bob Middleton, Brandon Sammons, Brian King, Chris Paris, Craig Harper, Dan, Danielle Cavallella, David Dombrowski, David Pasco, David C., David Kuzneski, Danny Crotty, Dylan Hyder, Ed Walsh, Edward Bramlett, Glenn Davos, Glenn Wright, Greg Johnson, Guy Lee, I Hate Junk Mail, Jack Haycock, Jacques Berry, Jake Jacobson, James Broxson, James Felling, Jay Reed, Jeff Block, Jeff Chapman, Jeff McLeod, Jeff Waldrop, Jenny Taylor, Jim B., Jim Heinrich, John Cordov, John Keel, John Sweeney, John Derby, John Goldenberg, Joshua Robb, Ken Newberry, Kenneth Fowler, Kevin Zwicky, Lenny Bauer, Les Stevenson, Lloyd R., Mark Beebe, Michael Gorman, Michael Kroger, Michael Meadows, Mike Lopez, Mike Pilts, Nicholas Stanger, Paul Bowling, Paul Teal, Raymond Hill, Rich Palmari, Ronnie Box, Scott Lefgren, Terry Wright, Thomas Jampino, Tim Mazet, Todd Glendite, and William Arcand. Find out more about Patreon and our support tiers by visiting scannerschool.com slash Patreon. Thanks again for listening. We'll catch you again next week. 73.